Broadcasting from Fairfax, Virginia, you are now tuned in to the Highlight Cast with your hosts, Adam McNair and Kevin Long. Well, welcome back to the Highlight Cast. Uh, this is Adam McNair here from Highlight and uh, joined today by Kevin Long again. How's it going? And also, special guest this week is our manager for operational excellence, and I'll explain what that means, is Devin Dufer. Okay, pleased to be here. So, we are a little bit non-traditional in that we don't have just a quality manager. We have titled the role as the operational excellence manager because typically a quality office will go in and audit a program, but a lot of times they're not there to really help the program advance the services that they're delivering. So we've named it a little bit differently along the thought process that when you call something a a term that it, it impacts the behavior. So we try to make sure that when we go in and we are working with a project, we're actually helping the project deliver services better and not just trying to show them where they did something that was a gap. So we're going to talk about a couple things today, um, catch up on some updates with the company, but uh, also the, the main topic today is going to be ISO 9000. Um, we've talked a little bit about the ISOs in the past as we've passed certification audits and so forth, but uh, wanted to delve into that a little bit more today. So the first thing, um, if you go out and look on our social media, out on our LinkedIn page for Highlight. Uh, we recently did a video. Uh, we were interviewed by Fairfax City, and uh, we talked a little bit about the experience of being a business here in Fairfax City, and it really has been uh, very positive from our perspective as we've moved into Fairfax City. Um, the Economic Development Organization has monthly meetings for the different businesses in the city. Um, They are a really good resource. Uh, What we've found is a lot of times when you reach out to any of the businesses in the city for a place to have an event or for catering or something, there's a, they they do what they can as far as discounts and really customer service for uh, city businesses. So uh, that's a growing, um, it's a growing business community, and uh, the ability to have the Q bus drop people off at our office, and that interns can come from George Mason for free, and all of that's been very good. So um, was impressed with the job that Fairfax City did on that video. And they turned Adam into a YouTube star. It's great. They 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 did. Um, I uh, they didn't they didn't do much for my uh, for my for my looks. I wish they could have <laughs> done something. I mean, I think they could have found somebody as a stand-in or uh, you know use, voice, voice acting and yeah used, and lip syncing. That would be amazing. Lower light or something would have been great. Um, but uh, uh, you find out how big the beard looks when you're on video. You're just like, wow, that's a massive beard. It looks amazing. It yeah, looks, it looks amazing. So, uh, so we did that. So that's up on our uh, LinkedIn site, and um, that's uh, part of our partnership with Fairfax City. And then the, the other thing we were going to talk about today was ISO 9000. So we, as we've talked about a little bit, we have a custom framework that we've developed to deliver services to the government that we call Highway, which we view as the way to deliver services for the government for a lot of reasons, and we'll delve into more of that uh, on, a, on a future episode, but it is a collection of tailored best practices from 
ISO and CMMI. So we are ISO 9000, 20,000, 27,000 certified. 44,000. We're the first one in America to have be 44,000 certified, which yep. is for stakeholder engagement and applying our processes into a customer environment. And then also CMMI level three for both services and development. So there's a lot to... It's a bunch to unpack. There's a bunch to unpack there, but... 9,000 specifically, um, we have a, in addition to maintaining our own certification, we have over the past year or so uh, been approached and engaged with companies that we work with or that we are the mentor of to help them get ISO certified. Previous lives, we've helped customers do it too. So True, true. Back, back in the day, we've done... Yep, 20,000 in yeah. and uh, was it 20... Did we do 9,000 for anybody? I know we did 20K. We did 20,000 at State Department, yep. certainly. Um, so, so it's good for everybody, you know. Yeah, and it does help as well. You know, if one of the, the digitization projects that we did for uh, the Small Business Administration, um, those processes leveraged a lot our ISO certified processes and, um, oh, yeah. you know, things like that sound rather boring until you find out that somebody digitizes a million documents the wrong way. And then all of a sudden, you really wish that you'd spent the time yeah. to, to do that the right way. Um, which, which gets us to, what is ISO exactly? Now, Devin is an expert in all things process and quality and so forth. And so the way that we really do ISO is usually Devin just tells us what we need to do. And it, <laughs> it works pretty well from that perspective. But uh, so, Devin, you want to talk about what ISO actually is. Sure. Thanks, Adam. Uh, yeah, ISO, the term ISO uh, just means it's the International Organization for Standardization. It's French, and so that's why the lettering is out of order. Ah. Okay. But you learn things every day. There you go. <laughs> what it is, is it's, it's a standard that specifies um, the requirements for a quality management system. Not quality assurance, but how to manage a quality management system. And organizations use this uh, standard to demonstrate to themselves or to a customer or whomever uh, the ability to consistently provide products and services that meet our customers' um, um, expectations and regulatory requirements. So that's really what it does, but it also contains fundamental management and quality assurance practices that can be applied by any organization. So that's in essence what ISO really does from the 9001 perspective. It's the only one, the 9000 series, that's associated with quality management. So it shows that you have a system. It yes. doesn't, doesn't prescribe that you're actually doing the assurance. That's correct. And one of the things that I've found almost every time we've gone in from consulting uh, engagement to go talk to somebody about ISO, when we talk about a quality management system, we're not talking about a computer system. There's not some software tool installed someplace that is driving what you're doing. When you're saying a quality management system, it is a collection of processes that you're going to follow to achieve a certain thing. Correct. Now, another thing that I, it has also been interesting to me about ISO 9000 is because it is not proscriptive in the detailed work instruction of what you're doing, 
it's used in a really wide range of, of industries. Mm-hmm. It's used in the automotive industry. It's used in manufacturing. A startup I worked with, uh, my first IT job was healthcare. And there was a nurse, that nurse practitioner that they brought in as our ISO uh, uh, expert to come in to get us put in with that. Uh, so it was a nurse telling software people you know, hey, here's how you do have a quality management system to put across the startup there because we were doing, we were doing quality stuff for for healthcare. So it's it, all over that. It's it's a good standard to overlay on because on other ISO standards like we have in our company here, uh, automotive has their own set of ISO standards, hmm. um, as does the healthcare industry from. Uh, healthcare, uh, like wheelchairs and and all kinds of things that um, for that are equipment. Okay, so it ISO. There's probably hundreds of ISO standards uh, for a variety of topics. Um, that this standard it sort of has that flow down feel to it. If you establish a quality management system, it actually helps you manage, it helps us manage our other credentials that we have for IT security, for service delivery, to um, our, our, our collaborative um, business relationship standards as well as CMMI. And it's all mapped together and that's what's kind of unique about what we do here even though we call things the highway framework now, it is still, in fact, an integrated business management system. Because it plays, it just helps us with this standard to organize and manage these other credentials that we have. So 9000, 9001 is really the foundation on which you can build all of these other uh, certifications and processes to make sure that you're doing all of those other things the right way. Yes, you could, yeah. But that doesn't mean everybody does it that way, but they certainly could. And because it can get really complex, um, it's it's sort of the easiest standard to start with, at least from my experience. It's got this standard, 9001 has got a lot of flexibility. And now we're in the, we're, we're several versions down, okay? There were things that were required under 9001, uh, 9, where in the current version is 2015, they took away a lot of nonsense and they tried to make this, because it started out as more automotive, if you're manufacturing, I should mm-hmm. say, but now it has sort of reached out and understands that there's other industries out there. And we certainly say that the IT industry is no small, insignificant industry in this country today. So mm-hmm. it's, it's become very flexible you know, to understand the needs, wants, and desires of companies like ourselves, right? Yeah, and one of the things that took me a long time to figure out was that the numbers after the ISO standard are the year that it was published. So the 2008, 2015, that's how they indicate version control so that you know what version of the standard you're supposed to look at. So when people get ready to get started being certified, the knowledge gap of you know, what do I do now, there's really not an easy playbook that I've seen for where do I start because there is no 
Because they are not prescriptive and because they are flexible, so that's great, but that means that all they give you is the standard, the artifacts that you have to create and the quality manual that you have to write, yep. you're starting from a blank page unless you come to someone Devin. like us. Yeah, you find <laughs> Devin and you say, I know you've got a dozen different formats for this, why don't we start with one? Otherwise, you're really starting from a, a blank page. Now, super intimidating. When you then when you look at the kind of the starting foundational things in the standard, um, you know, what are the major areas big document you open up the standard it says a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing that a person needs to go go look at? Well, <laughs> first thing you need to look at is getting someone that understands, has the experience and understands what the standard is saying to them because a lot of it's interpretive, much like CMMI. This standard contains roughly 117 shall statements through um, sections 4 through 10. Um, the example for our 2008 version, it only went through 9, uh, clause 9. So there's these 117 shalls within clauses 4 through, um, 4 through 10. Okay, the tenth being the process improvement kinds of activities that you want to have. And so those those shall statements are essentially, that means there's 117 yep. things that, that we have, have to, to be doing. And yeah. it's not a one-time thing. The majority right. of them, I mean, a few of them are write a policy, and yep. one could theoretically write a policy and keep it unchanged for many years. Sure. That, that would be okay. Sure. But a lot of them are ongoing requirements where they are things that you need to be doing on a at least annual or sometimes more frequent basis. Yes, yeah, there are. And a lot of times it will say in there, you've got to do this as needed. Well, philosophically, the, uh, the formation of the Executive Steering Committee kind of provides the guidance for that as to what do we want to do long term that's maintainable. Because quite often what happens is a company will start down this path and then they'll get carried away. It's because they don't understand. It's like an accordion. Okay. Policy for it, policy's sake. It, yeah. <clears throat> for example, um, and maybe you all don't even know this because I really haven't spoken to it. Technically, a quality manual is not required. Really? No. But no. experience has shown me over the last. 30 years that if you don't have a playbook, okay, the quality manual is just a very convenient place. Now, many companies use quality manuals, in part because I forced them to, yeah. but um, it's, it's, a, it's the playbook of what we're going to do and how we're going to meet and address all of the shall statements and, and the clauses and subclauses within the standard. So it, it becomes a very, it's a playbook and that's the best definition I can for it. And what we try to do now is go in there and say, let me do, address this stuff logically like it's outlined in the standard. There's two good reasons for that because you're going to get audited against all those shall statements mm -hmm. and you want to make sure that you have them all. Okay, because you don't want to show up on stage two, your registration audit, and you forgot, you know, subclauses, this, this, and this, and now you have major findings and you're not going to get certified. Okay, you've spent a lot of time and effort through all the people that are involved in it 
So it's it can be really thought of, you're, it's an investment. We've made it a point that we sort of organize everything and we've proven that time after time after time so that when we get to um, whether it's an ISO certification or we get to uh, CMMI appraisal, I already know what the solution is mm -hmm. because but, I don't want to spend the money again. So you mentioned a phase two there. So uh, I assume that this being a process-oriented mm -hmm. thing, that there's a process in terms of going through through this. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's a phase two, I assume there's a phase one, maybe a well, phase three. So what what is, what is it that you have to go through if you're going to do this? Well, okay, let's assume you've got, uh, there's stages and not phases, phases oh. okay? A, a little background on the staging was is prior to the 2015 uh, time or version of this, we would, guys like myself, would prepare all this stuff, required documentation. There's some required documentation they had to have that we would send it to the auditors and they were supposed to review this, whatever, you know. And when they showed up to do the audit, they're supposed to know all this stuff about our company. And that's stage one? That's, no. No. That was before stage one was enacted. Used, by to, be a, used to be a single stage yeah. type of thing. Oh, they they just show and up and do audited. it. Okay. So... What we found out, or, or ISO realized finally, was that when these auditors show up, they really don't know anything about the company, and chances are, most of them never even looked at any of the documentation that we sent them. <laughs> so the registration body of ISO said, we're gonna, we gotta take care of this. So they, they turned it into a two-stage event. Stage one is typically, and the, and the auditors are supposed to come on site. So that means they can't just send it to me and I'll take care of it. No, no, no. You have to show up. Okay. And, and it does really give them an opportunity to speak with executive management and others that are involved in the program and if get an idea of what this company is all about. We're all different. Okay. And the last thing we want is, and it's happened to me, we get an auditor that shows up that has no background in IT. They know everything about the automotive industry, but they're gonna, as the uh, previous registrar we had here, wanted us to, to inventory all of our pencils and paper clips and pads of paper and stuff, and that's crazy. Okay, uh, as because a, that's what they do in the automotive industry. Right, and so as an example, when we went in for the stage one for a uh, current partner that we're doing the ISO uh, support for now, so, okay, well, your auditor is going to come in. So stage one is really about meeting that auditor. I said, well, so we have to explain our business. You mean what specific customers we have and exactly, you know, are we providing service desk or are we providing infrastructure? So start from you do professional services, you don't manufacture things. Hmm. They're like, oh, let's. Yes, Super uh, the, the, yes, the auditor that we have coming here last week was in Detroit in an automotive factory verifying blast furnace temperatures for making car parts. Because if, if what you're controlling is a process to verify what's important and what's being done correctly, the ISO 9000 standard just says document your process and what metrics are important and we're going to verify that you're doing it. So whether for us it's when you are selecting a professional services employee to provide to a customer, 
does their resume meet the requirements of the labor category so that the contract is in compliance? It can mean that, or it can mean if you're going to make a fender for a pickup truck, mm -hmm. the steel needs to be at at least a certain number of degrees, and so the process by which you measure that, you need to have one person measure it, and then you need to make sure that they have calibrated the instrument that they're using. ISO 9000 can do either one, yep. or both. Not that we do both in our facility, but if, if we did, <laughs> yeah, it could do it both. Could. And that's an important um, uh, thing to bring up also because um, they used to call these things exclusions, but they're now called exceptions. And there are things in the standard that an organization such as ours that provides professional service that we just cannot do. Right. We don't have calibration equipment you know, to, to calibrate an oscilloscope or something like that. We don't do that kind of thing. There's other things that we can't do, and we just have to bring those out, make sure that the registrar and the auditor understand that, well, these are out of bounds because we really can't do them. So we list those in our in all of our paperwork that when we get our registration, we say, these are the things we can do. Right. But they also know there are some things we absolutely can't do. Yeah. It's just not possible. Yeah, so that fundamental, that stage one process is right. a lot of getting the auditor to really understand right. what it is that you do and what things they should be looking for. And because they're, they're not prescriptive, they ISO are not prescriptive, and what you call certain things, a lot of it is mapping terminology of what you call a thing to what the ISO standard calls out. Yeah. and. Okay. So just as a behind-the-curtains technique of something that we do, every document that Devin and I ever work on, we put the ISO reference in parentheses right after the, the topic in the document, right. whether that be an agenda item on, on a meeting agenda, whether those be in notes, whether that be in a quality manual or any other standard operating procedure, because six months from now, you don't end up remembering why you put that paragraph in. And you think, you know, control of records doesn't seem like a thing we need over mm -hmm. here. And then you realize that that was an ISO requirement, and you get right. ready to go get audited, and they say, hey, where do you talk about this? And you're like, I, I guess when we ironed this document out and tried to make it a little bit sound a little bit better, we must have lost that. So it's to maintain that kind of traceability. The other thing that happens in the stage one is agreeing on the scope of the yes. appraisal. And Devin, you want to talk about the kind of that scope process? Yeah, the scoping is, is the, you know, when you're getting a certification or something on something, um, you have to outline exactly what that is. So you're marrying up whatever for, we use our back office operation as an example of what the scope of our appraisal is, or, or not our, our registration, I should say. Okay, so there's certain things in there, the proposal process, and we've got IT involved in contracts and HR and, and recruiting. All these things are tied together and they are specific to clauses in this standard. So we're being, when we get that certificate, it's going to have that scope but not to that level of detail. It's going to say something like we do professional services or we were doing software development or we were building this or that or everything. So that when when somebody, re and it's on our certificate, okay, it's there so that our customer or whomever is looking at it said, okay, 
what you're doing and what you're certified to do or your certification covers it applies to what we do okay our product in that system is a proposal and the the importance of your scope is that I've where I've seen a lot of people go down a, a very difficult path is they start scoping around the entirety of their business without the awareness that there's usually a lot of things that you cannot control. So in a consulting environment such as ours, so think about physical security. We can control the physical security here at our headquarters, but every one of our customers has their own security plan, strategy, operations, etc. That's essentially none of our business. We have to comply with it. And so if we wrote the scope statement to say everything that we do, which would be very simple and you could, mm -hmm. you could say it very easily, then when the auditor shows up, they end up saying, all right, well, show me the security logs for where your folks are going into the Pentagon every day. You go, well, we don't have access to that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to need that because it says that you make everybody sign in, so we need to see that. Right. Like, well, but the Pentagon's not going to give that to us. And they go, oh, okay, well, then we'll just have to come back when you can get that, or you're going to have to modify your scope statement. Right. And so that really, <clears throat> planning out your scope and then honing that in so that the auditor also understands what those constraints are at that stage one yeah. is the biggest indicator of success on an ISO certification. Right. And the beauty of it is a good auditor is going to talk with the senior leadership of a company to make sure that, you know, let's tweak this. Let's let's get this so it's right and you're comfortable with it and I as the auditor are now comfortable with it. We get all that stuff laid out. Once they check all the documentation that they want, make sure that we've dotted all our I's, crossed all our T's, if you will, they will then declare, you know, or we can ask, or I typically will just come right out and ask, can we move on to stage two? Mm -hmm. Okay, so stage two then is actually the audit that is for the registration or certification, if you will, okay? This is where the auditor is going to come back, and it usually could be anywhere from, depending on how many things you do or do not have to fix after stage one, um, it may be a month, it may be two months, or whatever. Give us time to do it, and it's no harm, no foul at stage one. Because you're not trying to be certified stage one. Stage two, the rules change a little bit. Now they talk to the specific people. If you are in charge of the proposal process, they're going to talk to you about, explain, because you should have a set of work instructions, right, on how we do this proposal process, a la highlight. Not somebody else, but how we do it. Or recruiting, or HR, or contracts, and finance, and all they talk to those people specifically, tell me what you do, and it's a conversation. So phase one, stage the, one, sorry, stage one talks with the quality team about what they're doing, whereas stage two talks and looks at the exact same things, but actually talks to the people that are responsible for doing it. Right, but stage one is also, its focus is on the quality manager at that point is really a coordinator. Mm -hmm. It's with senior management. It's the engagement with senior management, except for the documentation. Sure. The QA person can point them in the right uh, right 
they usually will review the quality manual. Okay. okay, and that's why that quality manual comes in because it's it's your playbook. It's sure. Yourself. And and it's recognized as that um, most companies have what they call a quality manual or something like it. On our CMMI side of the house, for example, we have this thing called the OSP, the Organizational Standard Processes. It's all mapped together because what the quality manual doesn't uh, address for CMMI, it's addressed in the other. Yeah. But they cross over, and that's where we get this integration stuff involved, and it's all mapped. So stage two is we sit down and we talk to the people that perform the processes. Mm -hmm. Okay? So, so when you're looking at walking into a stage two, you're going to have to demonstrate that there are some specific things that you do mm -hmm. as a company or as an organization. Now, the ones off the top of my head that I mean that I just kind of, if you were going to say, what are the things that you have to do for ISO 9000? What it feels like to me that you have to do is that you, number one, need to have some sort of quality policy and an executive or senior management organization that sets the quality policy and talks about strategic quality issues on at mm -hmm. least an annual basis. Right. That's a thing that it feels like we have to do. It feels like control of documents and records. Any, any mm -hmm. document that is part of that quality system needs to have a little table in front of it that says what version you're on and who changed it so you have some right. traceability. And then there needs to be some internal audits related to if we said we were going to do things at least I don't know, once a year or something, somebody needs to come along and verify that we're doing that right. so that the combination of what we said we were going to do, the internal audits, and those processes we've documented, the auditor is going to come in and look at. When you think about here are some things that, here are the major practice areas or process areas, however you would call it, of, mm -hmm. of 9,000. What, what are the main behaviors that we have to exhibit to okay. be compliant? It, that's a really, it's a good question and it's, outlined uh, very well within the um, the ISO standard. For example, we'll start out with leadership. In, in the case of ISO 9000, senior management in their leadership role, you can't back away from them. You're stuck with it, okay? If you're going down this path, so le senior le leadership just can't separate themselves where I'm not involved in this at all. Right. We have this thing that we do, and it kind of goes by a variety of names of the executive steering committee, where the quality manager then reports to that committee of the state of our quality management system. And there's the standard outlines exactly, at a minimum, what has to be covered. And it's a variety of things, from internal audits to process improvement to objectives to all kinds of, uh, of items, okay? So that's the inputs. The outputs are the senior management can't be like a bump on a log. They actually have to respond to that and say, well, that seems to be good, but could you look into this? Could you look into that? How about if we did do this? We want to improve things, okay? So everything is methodical, okay? It's methodical. And then we have our internal auditing, which makes sure that if yes, it's uh, documents have to be reviewed at least uh, annually or more often as necessary. We're making sure that that's the follow through. So is it okay. is it that traceability where you're you're saying we're going to have some quality objectives, mm -hmm. we're going to move forward on some things, yep. and then we need to show 
meeting minutes or some kind of notes that yep. demonstrates that we're churning through them. Is right. That, is that basically the important part? Absolutely, because that, uh, for, for whatever kind of meeting you're having, you don't have to have one for everything. But for the ESC, as a deputy, you do. Because the quality manual says, that's a document, it says we're going to have quarterly ESC meetings and that there's going to be meeting minutes. Okay. Okay? So the meeting minutes then become the record of fact that that ESC meeting did take place. Okay? And all of the salient points that were covered. But it also gives that, that quality assurance person guidance where senior management wants to take the company by way of quality issues or programs or what we try to do better each time right so if we have that meeting Mm -hmm. and we follow up on it yep and we internal audit some things yep is that enough or are there other things we have to do to be iso compliant oh there's lots of things you have to do okay Uh, section eight for example section eight is really covers all the production kind of stuff that we do but for a company like ours, most people say, well, I, I don't produce anything. Well, yes, you do. Our back office operations, as I, I said earlier, is we produce a proposal, don't we? That's our product. It's okay? a solution for a customer. It's a yep. solution, yeah. and it's based on the requirements. Well, there's all kinds of things that uh, in, 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 um, in Clause 8 that deals with the Purdue came talk production of a product or service, but in this case, the service would come after if we won this proposal, okay? So it tracks all the salient things that we have to do. We have team reviews, those are records. We have to be able to demonstrate that, okay? Then we have, let's say we get, that's just a proposal process itself. From the time we start this thing at the BD part, all the way to the time that we have the last review, we, we've done this compliance matrix against that to make sure that we're delivering a proposal that is actually compliant with the requirements of the RFP, okay? We deliver this thing, but there's all these support people that have got bits and pieces of things that they do. We couldn't do our jobs without IT. Mm-hmm. We need to have computers, we need to have, the, uh, you know, keeping those things running, we have uh, people that do pricing and making sure that we're, we're touching all those things that the RFP spells out. So there's a variety of things. If you go down through, there's, there's everything from identifying the scope to the normative references. In this particular case, the normative reference is the ISO standard itself, okay? We're talking about terms and definitions, the context of the organization. You have to outline all these things. A major role, as I indicated earlier, is leadership. Leadership just can't separate itself from it. It's got to be involved, okay? Then there's the planning. There's the support, all the support activities that happens, the operations, which is that product development and delivery. And then we have to evaluate what we're doing, our processes. Well, and so I guess that that's the metrics angle. Yes. Because I, I guess... You know, one of the things also that I see when we go in and do some of these consulting engagements is um, you do have to, to be ISO compliant, you do have to track some metrics. Yeah. But they basically say, pick some metrics that are important to you. 
Correct. And then demonstrate that you're tracking you them. them. Right. Yeah. And now, like Kevin, when you look at your across your programs, what sure. kinds of things from a metric standpoint are you really usually monitoring? Uh, customer satisfaction. Yeah. That's easy. Um, and, you know, profitability. Mm-hmm. That's another one. Um, uh, uh, employee retention or attrition. I'll yeah. Look at that. Yeah, and on our, you know, the thing that we've done from an ISO perspective is, so certainly customer satisfaction is one of ours that we look at, and then because we're trying to use ISO to better run our company, a lot of the metrics that we've identified from an ISO standpoint are what I call capacity and velocity, um, meaning do I have enough people in each individual department to handle the things that have to happen? Do I have enough recruiters to handle the number of recs that we have open? Do I have enough contracts people to handle the number of contracts actions? Do I have enough IT people to support the IT tickets that we're getting? And then velocity for anytime there are requests, what I'm looking for, this is in the IT organization, this is in contracts, this is on in onboarding and offboarding requirements. Yep. Can we keep pace with the requests as they come in? Um, I'm not really concerned about how long it takes us to onboard a person because there's some variables in there, right? I don't want to get wrapped around the axle on a metric that says, I can't believe we didn't get this done in four days. And it's like, well, that's because we were onboarding somebody and they were on vacation and they couldn't send us their stuff and we had to wait. What I care about is... Are we building up a backlog that we cannot address? Or every time we open a job rack, every time we onboard something, we get a ticket for an onboarding, are we closing that at some rate so that we those lines are, are tracking together? That's, yeah. and that, that's very true. And, and the important thing really here is that the, the quality manual, that out, our playbook, if you will, outlines, that's normal operations. And we're always going to have peaks and valleys that happen. We're going to have surges. If we were fortunate enough to win a sizable contract that all of a sudden now we got on board 50 people, let's say, yeah, that's going to cause a, a, a spike for HR, for recruiting, for IT, if we have to provide the, get the computers all ordered and yeah. spun up and ready to go. But... The, the processes themselves, from the quality manual back down to our process, that brings us back to normal. It gives us a place to come back to so that we're not missing things, if you will. Okay, we're always going to have bumps in the road. So, we've, so from a certification process then, the, the actual official certification process then, so we've done a stage one, mm-hmm. they've come in and they've looked at some documents and we've talked about the scope yep. and they've understood what it is that we do. Then the, stage two, they come in, they've interviewed everybody. Yep. At that point, assuming we are compliant, right? are we certified? No. Okay. So, so what do <laughs> we have to double talk? What do we have to do so, then? Okay. What happens is the auditor can't certify us. Um, it takes a registrar to do that. So what happens is the auditor has to write up a very formal report, very detailed report. Basically, you could map to all those shelves in that this this um, 
um, assuming we meet all the shells in the, the standards. So theoretically, there's there's 117 things they've yeah. had to prove yeah. that we do. Yeah, we had to prove. That well, we, yeah, so we had to prove, and, and they, they had have to, to document. So they'll they'll finish this report up, and then they send it to the registrar. So then, when the registrar has a team that vets that, they're really looking for. They're not trying to second guess the auditor. They they hired that auditor for a reason. He or she is very well qualified to be doing what they're doing. But they make sure that the auditor caught everything because we're all human. We can miss something here and there. Okay, so they sort of do cross checks to make sure that when they say, yes, we believe you are certified and we're going to put ANAB or RAB or whomever, the, the official stamp on this thing, then they send it to the ISO body that causes another review to take place. So then they go, yes, you may affix the ANAB stamp or the RAB stamp or whatever stamp there is, which is a very important thing that you're gonna find on the upper right-hand corner. You're gonna see the, on the left side, you're gonna see the registrar stamp. But um, for those that are, those standards that are recognized by the international organization will also get, that's where the real weight of it is, okay? They send that back. Once they send that back, then we're authorized to say we are certified. Okay, so, you got to have that thing in your hand. Mm -hmm. So you get an auditor mm -hmm. who is a person that works for a registrar, yes. which is an organization. Right. So the auditor writes the report and sends it to the registrar. The registrar... Cross-checks. They cross-check and then they... they quality assurance. They, yeah, perhaps they do, <laughs> and then they. So is it the registrar that puts the? There's all these accrediting bodies, the ANAB or whoever. So they then have the ANAB stamp and can put on it to say that it's been certified. Yep. We, we, see, a, a registrar can actually certify things, okay, but it doesn't necessarily mean that ANAB recognizes it. We want something that's ANAB or RAB, the the ISO uh, body recognizes okay there are some standards out there that are not ANAB for example so, recognized so basically then the that ANAB stamp mm -hmm. or the, the that certifying body right they're really the registrar of certifier the registrar. yeah so they're the ones that say okay this registrar is a real registrar yeah and when you are buying this it's kind of like the uh, you know the the green energy, you know Energy Star type yeah. stamp on something that says, yeah, this isn't just an energy efficient TV. It's a we, we checked it out. There's a standard we complied. Okay, yeah. so the auditor sends it to the registrar. The registrar certifies it and then affixes because they themselves are under some sort of scrutiny. They, they affix are. the the stamp to it. Then it goes to ISO and then ISO signs. And they can't affix the stamp until ISO says it and is. ISO says. Okay. okay. So once ISO the ISO organization says yes, everything looks really good. We have no objections. We're going to you're authorized to affix the ENAP stamp and we stand by that. Wow. It becomes a matter of record. But we all have to remember very one very important thing is we're only borrowing that certificate, okay? Because in our industry, if we were in the automotive industry, we would be surveilled every six months or even more. But because of the type of work we do, um, we get 
we have a surveillance audit. They come back. The registrar has to come back at least every 12 months, which they do. They come back to make sure we're following all the things that we said we were following at the time that we were registered. Okay? They come back and verify that. Unlike, I, uh, unlike CMMI. Okay? You get a three-year uh, credential and whatnot, and which means you could literally, and this happens, you could literally say, well, okay, I got this little thing I can declare now, but I'm not going to do all this stuff because it costs too much money or it's too much effort or whatever. And that absolutely you, happens it in does. a lot of places. Yeah. Uh, I, I, so you can't do that because when that auditor comes back and uncovers these defects, things that we've decided to ignore, we're not going to have ESC meetings, we're not going to do internal auditing, they're going to write us up for either minors or major violations. Minor violations, they're going to give us maybe 30 days to fix it, depending on the number of those minor nonconformities. But a major nonconformity, the registration or ISO body can take your certificate away from you. Yeah, it's basically the same way when you read about the uh, restaurant inspections that they have in the paper and they'll say, you know, yep. they came in and we realized that the ice water is not quite cold enough and that's that's right. you need to fix that. And then sometimes they come in and they're like, well, we, we are officially closing so our restaurant How many rodents are allowed in this kitchen? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, But it, the thing of it is, uh, when when auditors, just in my experience is, they come back and that when they find one thing, they dig deeper. Okay, so if they find one, it's human nature maybe, well, if there's one, you know, where there's smoke, there must be fire. Let me dig deeper and deeper and deeper. So now it just it just means we wasted a lot of our time, a lot of money. Um, we didn't get any value out of it because we didn't follow through with what we said we were going to do. And that's a waste. Yeah, and Kevin, I guess one of the questions I have for you is... You know, I always had the perception that if you're going to work in an ISO certified environment, there's all kinds of extraneous paperwork. Mm -hmm. And from the job that you have running a half yep. of the operations of the service delivery of the company, do, do you feel like there are, there, there are a lot of documentation requirements spun off by ISO that are just kind of... No, I've, wor work? I've worked places that had documents for document's sake. We, we don't. Which is really great. Uh, it's. Uh, I, I think we've done a really good job at putting in documents that capture things that are necessary, things that are important, and things that we need to remember or track or or be able to communicate to other people. They give us value. Yes. If there's no value, then why do it? Yeah. Um, they bring value to what we're doing, and that's ultimately delivering products and services that meet the expectations of that customer in the contract, and um, regulations, statutory regulations, those things that we have to maintain, whether it's HR stuff, mm -hmm. statewide, federally, whatever it is, we, it's, yes. that's checks and balances. So we get value out of our stuff, and we've embraced so. the concept of Agile. Yeah, and, that, and so is ISO. There are, just as a federal contractor, there are so many random requirements that oh we have goodness. about yeah. sign-in logs and verifying yeah. this and protecting that kind of information. So there's there's a fair amount of, uh, of that that we've wrapped into yeah. ISO. And I guess the last thing that I was just going to mention that is um, 
that, that I think is important in this process is you know, the first one is something that Devin already said, which is if you're going to go down this path, it really behooves a company to find someone, whether you hire them directly or you get oh, them yeah. as a consultant, that has done this before just because, as we've seen before, it can be a time sink of years. I mean, yeah. one, one of the engagements that we're in right now where this company is going to have their ISO uh, certification likely by the end of this month, um, they've worked on it for a year or better, uh, trying to get down a, pa a path that it is possible to do an infinite amount of work that is all compliant with the standard, but yet not yet be compliant with the standard enough to be ready to be audited. And, and not appraised. deliverable as a business. You right. Know, the, the whole conversation around what you scope your certification around mm -hmm. is so critical. Uh, I was saying earlier, the first the startup I worked at, uh, the ISO process there was just awful because uh, – in, in healthcare, at least, they were used to having to, you know, I mean, and thank goodness, you know, you, the doctors and nurses, you want them to do all of these you sure know, you do. different things. Yeah. I mean, we were literally a software startup, mm -hmm. right? And and the, the amount of burden that was placed on everybody in trying to figure it out and still not be compliant to be 9,000 certified was just just egregious. I mean, we we worked nine months on it throughout everything that we were doing. Honestly, hired a different person that that was that didn't understand healthcare as much, but understood software more to be able to then understand and put the scope appropriately around it. It was, uh, yeah, it's it is. It yeah. can be really painful if you don't yeah. do so that. So that's right. that's yeah. one area that I think it's. It's, it, you need to get somebody that knows, that has, has some experience and has done it before. I think the customers where we've gone in and engaged to get somebody ISO certified, we have likely saved them five or ten times what they've ever paid us to support them yeah. in, in avoided work on yeah. their side. The other thing is the registrar and auditor that you select is really important. Right. And um, whether you reach out to a professional network and ask people who they've used that they like, whether you call us and talk to us about who we've used. it And it's not about, oh, we know this auditor that fills out phony certs and they're not going to really look at anything. It has nothing to do with that. What it has to do is that finding an auditor that has the right experience to be able to understand your business sector. Mm -hmm. The auditor that we use, if we were in hardcore chemical manufacturing, I'm not sure that she's necessarily the right person. Right. Um, but she's great for us, for professional services. Yep. And similarly, the registrar that you select, the price differences. It's interesting. The way they price these things is by how many people are going to be involved in the overall certification and, and, and really? appraisal yes. process. Huh. So it, it's not a, it's not these aren't big price drivers. I mean, getting an ISO nine thousand certification, the, the the registrar is that's the least of your cost. I mean, it's right. a couple thousand dollars every year. It really is not that big a deal. But finding one that's responsive, it's interesting. The number of times that we've tried to just get on somebody's calendar, and a lot of these organizations are networks of remote part-time people that operate as these yeah. registrars and you simply can't get them to lock you in on a calendar and 
when you're going to have somebody show up to your company and they say, we're going to need essentially almost untethered access to interview and look at artifacts and talk to most of the people that are running your business for two days, having some certainty about when those two days are is a big deal. Yeah. And just vacations or customer requirements or anything, some of these registrars, they're... they're it's at their convenience. It's at their always. convenience. And... Mm. A lot of that, I also I think, comes back to their background. If it's manufacturing, every factory is always on. Right. So if you're going to go check what time the ketchup bottles are, you know, being made, they do it 24 hours a day, and that assembly line does the same thing all the time. And yep. you're always going to have every role on site. So yep. you're going to have an on-site quality guy. You're going to have an on-site production manager. You're going to have yep. an on-site all of that all the time. Yeah. We don't run that way, and because these standards kind of grew up in manufacturing, sure. um, I think that's still a, a gap. So those are a couple of things um, to to consider. ISO nine thousand can be as hard or as easy as you want it to be, and um, you know you can be looking at starting from nothing with the right consultant or support and being certified in four or five months. Or you can take two or three years and spend a million dollars and not be ready yet. Yeah. It, it really is It's a, a, a wide gamut. But it's a real disheartening for all of the staff that are involved in these things to spend a, a silly amount of time in, in many cases and then get nothing out of it yeah, based right. on when you're supposed to be getting these certifications and whatnot. So, yeah, it's really important that whoever's running this operation for your your company um, has the wherewithal to be able to explain all the stuff to all the different facets of your your scope or your processes that you're doing and then be able to make it fit into the standard yeah. it, because it's why waste time right yeah. but yeah, many companies just do that yeah and so that that in a nutshell uh, is the ISO 9000 process and it's the yeah. way that we do it and uh, so this was really meant informationally I mean I, I would uh, you know probably be uh, remiss if I didn't say if anybody's interested in knowing more about it you can always contact us and oh, whether yeah. it's as a professional services engagement or just for some advice we're always happy to do that but um, but so that's the uh, that's ISO 9000 so thank you to Kevin and thank you to Devin and thank you to Matt Dotson for uh, for running the recording and we will talk to you next time the views and opinions expressed in this episode are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect highlight technologies and or any agency of the US government